Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Friday edition. Uh, as you listen to this show, more than likely one or all three of us are in transit to Boulder because the Ducks are heading to Boulder to take on the Colorado Buffalo. A 12.30 kick Pacific time, 1.30 kick Mountain time. We are traveling to Mountain time, guys. Uh, remember that. Number eight, Oregon, seven and one, seven straight wins, taking on one and seven Colorado. Um, this is one of those weeks where it's not if Oregon wins, it's kind of by how much does Oregon win by? Uh, what, how good do they look? What's, do they look sloppy at all? Um, obviously, Colorado could win this game, but it would be like one of the biggest upsets in college football history. Uh, I checked the the point spread before we went on. Oregon is still a 31-point favorite. Um, just, I guess, from a storyline perspective, what are you guys keying into this one? We'll get to injuries and who's playing, maybe who's not playing on the back end of that. But just what what's the what's the the piece of meat that that you're interested in in seeing? in this game like what what's what's the what's the piece that, that draws you in because it's tough it's a 31 point spread oh i think that's exactly what it is for me though is do, do they do that do, do they take care of business or is this a sloppy game they don't play very well and you come away going like well they're in their stretch run here but they look susceptible um you know i think it's funny because dan Lanning, bo nix alex forsyth came out of the california press game or press conference after the game and, and were basically like, that wasn't very good, yet they covered. They were up by 25 points late. There was a couple late Cal scores. They scored 42 points, gained a ton of yards. And yet the, the sense was it wasn't very good. And Oregon could win this game and cover the spread just like they did against Cal and maybe come away feeling similarly just because of the caliber of opponent. And I think what you really want to have happen is Dan comes out and feels really good about things. Bo feels good about things. Dan comes out and says, hey, we've been waiting to play a complete game all year. We didn't necessarily do it, but we got really close. Like that was that was right. that was the conclusion of a really strong week of practice and eight straight wins. We're feeling really good. Things came together, both sides of the football. We scored the way we wanted to. We converted in the red zone. We stopped Colorado. We forced turnovers. We did you know, X, Y, or Z, all the things that are on Dan's checklist each week. We achieved that that would be kind of what I'm looking for is just like because, again, even when we had Adam Munstertager on uh, for our, our Thursday show, he was like, Colorado's not winning this game. Like, it's yeah. just not happening. Like he basically he, he didn't he didn't basically he came out and said that. And I think anybody following this game understands that when a team is a four, almost five score favorite, you're not going to lose like ninety nine percent of the time. I think Oregon's going to win this game. To me, it's a matter of how they look doing it. What's the margin? Um, and and kind of how do you come away feeling going into like? To me, it's almost it'll almost be more of like emotionally, um, kind of physically, kind of just how do you come away feeling leaving Folsom Field? Do we come away on the on our podcast afterwards saying, "Oh boy, they didn't"? That was kind of ugly. They won, but. Or do we come away saying, all right, they look ready for the big stretch run with Washington, Utah, and Oregon State? I think it's as simple as that. 
just how they look doing it. I, again, a 31 and a half point spread. And obviously Oregon is, is the clear favorite and is you know, hopefully going to win by that many and cover the spread. Um, it just depends on how they do it. Again, the first half against Cal, other than the second quarter, you're just, you're kind of like, is this going to be one of those Cal games where they just come from behind and just keep it close? And that's not how Oregon has played this year outside of just one game. They've been oh, in Washington State. But it was it was basically the sim, a same script as Washington State where they struggled in the red zone. They didn't execute well. But they came back and eventually, you know, took the took the torch and Bo Nix passed their way to victory. Um, in this matchup, it shouldn't be close. It's just a matter of how they win. It's just how many points do they put up. And I think I'm more looking towards how many points they put up with like the starters with everybody who's healthy before they hit the fourth quarter. Cause there's a chance it could just be over by halftime. There's a chance it could be over by, I don't know, like five minutes into the second quarter, but how do they look with their, with their number ones on the field is really what I'm concerned about. And how many points do they put up? How great is their red zone execution? Not even how great, just how good is it? Just do, do they do they convert in the red zone? Do they even get into the red zone because they're just scoring long touchdown plays? Just how does this offense and how does this defense work through the first uh, two quarters of the game with their number ones on both sides of the ball? Um, I, I you know I watched a decent amount of Colorado tape. They are the record indicates how good they are, which is one in seven. <laughs> um, this is a game where, as I was watching the tape, I thought. We all came away from the Oregon and Georgia. This is a weird comp, but we came away from the Oregon and Georgia game thinking, wow, Georgia's athletes are just way better than Oregon's athletes. Um, I watched a lot of Colorado and Arizona State because I don't think Colorado or excuse me, Arizona State is that good of a program, but they put up 42 points against Colorado. Um, I came away thinking that about Colorado's athletes compared to Arizona's athletes. Just like, oh, man, Yikes. that's a big difference between those two programs. Um Oregon has the clear advantage everywhere. They just need to show it. They just need to go up and you know score forty points in the first half if they can, control the middle eight, and you know that's that's just what I'm looking at the end of the game. That's what I'm going to be looking back on is how dominant were they in a in a game where they need for brownie points and a potential college football playoff rankings. You know how how big is this victory? How much do they just dominate the game by? If you're curious, how often a 30-point favorite Power 5 team has happened against another Power 5 team. It's actually happened five times this season. Um, they're 5-0 and straight up. They're 3-1-1 and against the spread. Georgia is two of those teams. Ohio State, Alabama – Ohio State has two of those games as well, and Alabama is one. And then I've also got a couple other nuggets that were forwarded by a good friend of ours. Um, won't say his name, but – since 2013, Power 5 teams playing on the road that are favored by 30 or more against another Power 5 team, they're 10-13 and 13 against the spread, 22-1 and one straight up. Uh, you want to go back another decade to 2003, uh, Power 5 teams ranked against another Power 5 team uh, by 30 or more, 15-19 and 19 against the spread, 33-1 and one straight up. Uh, so it's only happened one time. And do you guys know this loss? Was it, it was pretty embarrassing. I think I watched it with one of you guys. 
Well, okay. So I think I think Stanford had maybe a home win over USC that that fit this category under. It's uh, not in the Pac-12 under Harbaugh that I recall. But uh, okay, so it's not a Pac-12 game. This loss. It's very recent. Hence, I think I watched it with one of you guys in a hotel. Recent? Can you give me like a, a, a year stretch, like how many years ago? Pre COVID, he says. Okay, Pre-COVID. so you think it was okay? So I probably watched it with you. Um, look, we watch a lot of football games together, Matt, because we're on these road trips. Uh, I genuinely don't recall this. I feel like I'm going to. 2019, start. Illinois beat Wisconsin, who was a 30 and a half point favorite oh. on the road. Okay. I would, not have, I would not have gotten myself there, to be honest. With no. You. The fact that Wisconsin I was the only was thing I was thinking was was Purdue and Ohio State, but I don't think Ohio State was that big of a favorite in that matchup. Somebody in the comments look up that that uh, that Stanford USC home game where uh, Stanford won, and it was I think the largest spread that a team had lost, like as a as a in terms of like the the favorite losing in like twenty five years or something. It was like Tavita Pritchard, the current OC, was the quarterback for Stanford. And I want to say it was Harbaugh's like first or second year. Anyway, mm-hmm. that was where my head went. But I think that was a Stanford home game. I think it was like more than thirty, like maybe thirty-eight or something stupid. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that all bodes quite well for Oregon to win this game, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it like Adam came on the show yesterday, and it tells you how bad things are when it's like, hey, can you give us an example of a player or a position group that you feel like could match up well? And he's like, there really isn't like there's there's zero. Um, and so I, I guess for me, the storyline to watch is just how long does Oregon starters stay in the game? And what does what kind of drop off if there is a drop off happens when Oregon does put their backups in? Because style points, while they technically don't matter, they kind of do. And. I think Eric, you you brought up the question like how many times has Oregon's defense given up just a garbage touchdown in the fourth quarter, which is padded stats uh, or made a blowout look a little bit closer than it really was? And you know, do we see that on Saturday in Boulder? Do do we see a a fifty six to seven performance turn into a fifty six to twenty one performance where it's still pretty impressive, but at the same time it takes a little bit of a notch here. Um, It's also going to be a game where we might not see some of Oregon's bigger names because of injury, or um, we know we're already going to see Jeffrey Bossa without the first half because he's suspended um, due to a targeting call that was called against him uh, at Cal last weekend. But status of Chase Cota, status of DJ Johnson, Steven Jones, Taki Timamani, um, those are all four key pieces to this team that all could be potentially out this weekend against Colorado. And will they even impact the game drastically if they're not playing all of them? I'll be curious to see how many of those guys travel um, because I don't think we expect and my, myself and Jared were at the last two practices that were open on Tuesday and Wednesday. And the attendance by those guys was, was what? Nothing. Nil. Yeah. Uh, Steven Jones was uh, in, 
uniform but not in pads on Tuesday, which was just a nice thing to see doing some rehab work. That's the most we've seen from him since like early September. So that was a nice development, but didn't seem like there was any indication he was going to play this week. Um, and he wasn't there on Wednesday. Neither DJ or Chase or Taki were at anything this week. So I feel pretty comfortable saying neither none of those guys will go. Um, maybe you bring a couple of them out for team morale or just in emergency situations, or maybe the injury is one where you can recover more quickly than we're thinking, but I don't expect any of those guys to play. And I will also say, like, I think a good question from James Crepe of the Oregonian was asked to Dan last week about if a guy misses Tuesday and he misses Wednesday, is it, is it possibly plays on Saturday? And he basically said, no, he said there would be some situations where that could be the case if it's like a more veteran guy, but I don't expect any of those guys to play. I think, Jared, I'll throw it to you because you're a little bit more optimistic on this one. Could we see Byron Cardwell make a trip? He hasn't been um, on the travel squad since Washington State, um, and he hasn't mm -hmm. played since Eastern Washington, but we saw a little bit of an uptick in practice, and as we noted earlier, this could be a game where you get more players on the field. Could this be a good game to fit Byron in? If he's healthy, yeah. Of course it's a good game to fit Byron in. It's a good game to fit Kilohana Hasenritter in as well. But I think Byron looked a lot better on Wednesday, on Tuesday and Wednesday, specifically on Wednesday. Um, he took part in kickoff drills both days. Um, on Wednesday, he was a very full participant. We've seen him go through practice as a quote-unquote full participant before, but not really engaged and seemingly 100% where you know we've, we've seen Byron Cardwell on the field. We've seen him during spring practices. We've seen how he looks when he's fully healthy. And throughout the season, we have seen him participate in practice, but it hasn't looked as if, as if he is 100% healthy. Wednesday, I don't, I, you know, I'm not gonna put a barometer on it and say, oh, he was 96% healthy, but he looked the healthiest that he had so far as we've watched practice. Um, he had an excellent jump cut and a run that shook him free of uh, Michael Roth, and I think it was Keith Brown on a tackle. Um, he returned kicks. I know it's just a special teams portion of practice, but he returned them in full speed like the rest of the running back group and the rest of the return group does. So, yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that he's going to make the trip. Um, he didn't have his ankle taped or there was no leg sleeve either, which has been a predominant thing and in, in, in practice so far this season. Um, I'm optimistic about it. I, I, if he does make the trip, that'd be great. I still think like, I think he'll be able to get in some run because the score should be a lot to a little, but if he doesn't make it, it's just how it's been this season. You know, we, it's whether or not he's healthy and maybe he still isn't healthy, but I will say on Wednesday, it looked like he was at his healthiest. Do we want to take a quick break and dive in? Because I don't think there's much more to talk about from a preview perspective. It's just one of those weeks where you can dress it up as much as you want, but this is not one of those games where there's a lot of storylines to watch. Uh, I'll just throw out one player on Colorado to know offensively who's actually been really impressed, and that's Jordan Tyson. He's a true freshman receiver. Mm -hmm. He was a freshman player of the week in the conference Last week, he had a punt return for a touchdown, had a long touchdown catch. He's probably one of the few guys that you see on the field and go, that guy could play at most places in the conference and, and be a contributor. Um, pretty impressive stat profile, 17 catches, five have been explosive plays. So this is a guy that 
when they do get him the ball, can make things happen. And in general, this is a Colorado offense that will throw the ball down the field. Like JT Strout, we can get into how terrible he is. I've got that's one of my predictions is something related to him. Um, he's not good, but he does have a live arm and he is not afraid to throw the ball downfield. And Tyson's the guy he looks at. So that would be like the one if we're going to try to like dress it up and be like, hey, this guy can maybe make a play. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to take several deep shots down the field with this guy yep. and, and test Oregon secondary and see, hey, maybe we can hit lightning in the bottle and he, he catches a couple of them. And frankly, he's capable of doing it. We just saw Oregon get beat by um, more talented receivers, I think, in start event and Hunter downfield from Cal. But this could be a, that that could be the one thing to watch out is they do throw the ball down the field a lot. And Tyson's got some some wheels. I think we could probably talk about how interesting the quarterback situation has been at Colorado this season and how many guys have gone in and out of, of the starting lineup and how Oregon's defense is sort of preparing for two quarterbacks to go into it. Um, Owen McCown, who's Josh McCown's kid, and then JT Shrout, like Eric mentioned. Um, it started the season with Brendan Lewis. He transferred after a couple weeks. McCown is a very is a true true freshman. He came in against I think it was in the final minutes against uh, Minnesota I want to say, but then he got the full full slate against UCLA. Performed pretty well, but he's been banged up. And they went back to JT Shroud. Um, obviously, this offense hasn't been great. I think they're third worst and or no, they're eighth worst in the country out of 131 football teams in total offense, but the second worst Power Five team. Um, so this is not a great offense, and they do not have a lot of good quarterback play here. But Oregon is preparing for both guys to get out there and you know try to make try to make some impact. Um, uh, Mike Sanford Jr., who's the interim head coach after Carl Durrell got fired, uh, he did make the he had a quote about potentially redshirting Owen McCown. So maybe maybe Oregon sees two quarterbacks. Maybe they decide to redshirt McCown as a true freshman, or Maybe they go to, I don't know, maybe they go to a walk-on quarterback here to try to find any type of help. But um, yeah. that's just what Oregon – like, again, there's there's not a, a ton of stuff to talk about with Colorado's offense or defense. But that is one of the interesting storylines is that they do have to try and prepare for two – Oregon's defense does have to try and prepare for potentially two quarterbacks, although I think, I think we'll just be seeing Shroud. I was going to say, I think Adam – suggested don't expect McCown because of the they're going to try to preserve his redshirt year and, and yeah. kind of keep him for the long term because I think there's something special there um, with him down the stretch but yeah if and I would ex I think you're right in terms of the players have said that they're preparing for both but it feels like it should be Shroud. One, there's one also, more thing. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, go for it, Matt. I was also going to say they have to, <clears throat> they may have the tallest college football player on its roster. Oh yes. Um, Jared Christian Lichenhan, a six foot ten sophomore offensive tackle. Can you spell that? Which one? He's got three names. Any of them. <laughs> he spells Jared in a way I've never seen before. I was gonna G -E say E-R-A-D. I mean, as our fellow Jared resident here, how do you Good feel boy. about the misspelling of that? Oh <laughs> well, we already have too many Jareds on the Oregon beat, and I'm the only one who spells it correctly. So <laughs> that one is extremely incorrect. And uh, the rest of or it, is it Matt, Gerard. It might be Gerard. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a name, and he's a very tall human being. <laughs> and as Dan said, they were not putting any players on stilts this week to prepare for. <laughs> smart, very smart. All right, let's take a quick break. 
Uh, unless you did I did I ruin the thing you were going to bring up, Jared? Uh, I was just going to say Colorado's expecting Alex Fontenot back, who's one, been one of their running backs in the last couple of years. Um, he's been out for a little bit. They expect him back. Um, I think he has 20 rushes this year, 84 yards, so very limited production. But that is somebody to look out for. A pretty decent recruit in his own right, by the way, when he was coming through. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start making some predictions for this game. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, prediction time for tomorrow's game. Uh, we'll go offense of team, offensive player, defensive team, defensive player, and then score prediction. All right, offensive team prediction for me. Um, Oregon's season high in rushing yards is 351. I think they exceed that. So put me down for 352 or more. Um, I don't think Colorado – is very good against the run. I don't think they have the athletes to match up with Oregon's depth, and I don't think they have the speed to deal with Oregon's backs in the secondary as well if they can get that second or third level. So I'm expecting some big runs, uh, and I think Oregon hits 352 or more on the ground. Colorado has given up more rushing yards and more rushing touchdowns than any Power 5 team in the country this year, Oregon is has gained the 11th most yards and scored the 10th most rushing touchdowns. I think it's safe to say this is a qualifies as a good on bad matchup when Oregon runs the ball. We always hear about good on good. Yeah, that's not what this is. Colorado's bad against the run. They do have a couple of decent players, um, but I, I don't expect this to be a situation where Colorado has much success slowing Oregon. Um, I went a little bit uh, a little bit different, a little more creative. I'm saying four different ducks find the end zone on the ground. So I also think it's going to be a, a run-centric day. But like Oregon has, like I could tell you, like a Bonix could score a touchdown. I'd feel good about it. I think, obviously, mm-hmm. you feel good about a Bucky or a Noah, although those guys haven't scored a ton of touchdowns this year. I think just four combined. Um, and only one each in the whole month. Feel about Jordan time. James. Well, and that was the one I was going to say is most likely to probably get in there would be a Jordan James or even a Sean Dollars or, hey, shoot, Maliki Madaval got in the end zone on a, on a little end around earlier this year. Maybe we see Patrick Herbert touch the ball as a fullback. I'm just there's a, there's a couple of different outcomes there, so I'll be uh, a little different and go four different ducks find the end zone on the ground. On the ground, I'm doing um, just overall highest team offense total yards this season. Uh, right now, the record is 624 for against Washington State. That's what Oregon put up. So give me 625. I went back through the archives and found the most amount of yards that Colorado has allowed to Oregon. Um, Twenty thirteen. Can anybody, you, any one of you, take a guess at what it is? That was a well, Mariota year. Yeah, I know what the score was. Um, what was Oregon's, the score? Uh, well, I have it written down here in my uh, in my story here. So should I tell you what it was? I know what the score is. How many yards are the score? I know. The, I know the score, the score in twenty thirteen. Okay. It was fifty. I think they had over six fifty. Yes. I'm going to say I'm going to say uh 725. Close Eric at 30, 755 total yards to score only 50 <laughs> points when next year they had in the 600s and scored 70. So there was no chance Oregon was hitting a record against Colorado for yards. Um so I went over 624, which I think is still 
So pretty good, pretty good day at the office. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. Six hundred and twenty-five yards. That's so many. That's, seven, not that your pick is ridiculous. That's just such a high number. Well, they've gone over six hundred yards twice this season already. Oh, I'm I thinking know. It's going to be a third time. Oh, I know. I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I could see I could see it being kind of crazy though. I mean, if if we're just being honest here, like Oregon has oh, yeah. a really a really good offense. They could do some damage here, and I'm 100%. like. You, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's like 700 yards. If Oregon it's going to require have to want to go getting some first downs though. Well, it would. It would yeah. I was three just and outs say. and puns. Three and outs and turnovers will shorten the field. Yeah, I was just going to say it's. It's also going to require like Oregon being continually putting the foot on the gas, even up a lot of points in the second half with yeah a Ty Thompson potentially led offense, which hasn't really done a whole lot. No. In past games, he's been in. I like it though. I think I think that could really be a possibility for Oregon. All right, offensive player prediction. Um, I wanted to do six, but maybe I took the safe way. Uh, Bo Nix accounts for five total touchdowns for the fifth time this season. Uh, previously, he's done it against Eastern BYU, and now the last two straight UCLA and Cal. Um, five total. So it's not passing or five rushing, but that kind of plays into Eric's because I think he's, I think he's the most obvious opportunistic scorer when they get inside the 10 and they're not at the the two or the one, because then that's Jordan James in the 14 J formation. But when it's inside the 10, they do, they like to do the zone read and he likes to take it and go into the end zone. So give me five or more total touchdowns for Bonex in this game. And he does. They do a little bit of QB sneaks too. I want over his eleven. I bet like two or three are probably just one yard yeah. QB sneaks. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think that's a that's a definitely a reasonable guess. And as I said earlier, they're going to score some points in this game. Um, they're going to put some they're going to put some balls in the end zone. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a big part of it. Uh, I'm predicting an Oregon running back rushes for more than 100 yards, but it's not Bucky Irving because he's dead. He's dead to me. Um, oh. <laughs> That's hard. He's not, That's he's, he's not really dead to me. He's just in the predictions on this show. He, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with him. I've, I've given him up. Uh, we're, 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 we're him up. It's over. Uh, I, I've quit him. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, I'm going Noah Whittington with this first 100-yard game of the season. This guy has been ridiculously consistent the last six games on the ground, mm-hmm. 66 or more yards in all of them. He had 92 against Arizona. Um, strangely, that was his lowest rushing output. He only had six carries. Do you guys know, it's kind of interesting, if you look at the month of October, the last had four games, Whittington kind of outdid Bucky, if you yeah. want to just look at it. Bucky he had a better Bucky. better game against Cal than Bucky, easily. He did. Uh, Bucky's worst game of the year was against Cal. But in the month of October, Irving, 51 carries, 303 yards, one touchdown. Whittington, 39 carries, 297 yards, one touchdown. Um, that's about about almost two full yards better per play uh, average on the ground from Whittington. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to run the football, and I'm going to go with Whittington being the guy who gets to 100, and that would make three this season. The Bo's done it. Obviously, Irving did it when Matt predicted it, and I'm going to go with Whittington making it three. I'm happy that you went through how good both of those guys have been in the last month because I, my individual offense is a duo. I stole Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. I think they're going to combine for over 200 yards of total offense. 
whether on the ground, through the air, I think their combination is going to be over 200 yards. Um, I told my friend this this morning when I was going over all the stats, and I know some people don't like stats and they'd rather watch us have us watch all the games in the world, but stats do matter. Um, this felt like an immovable object or an un, uh, unstoppable force against a very movable object in this game. I mean, Colorado is the third worst team in the country out of 131 in total yards per game. Um, excuse me, fourth worst, 483.8 yards a game. Oregon comes in as a third best offense in the country at 528. It's just going to be a lot of yards, man. And I think Bucky and Winnington are going to get 200 of them. Can I can I defend using stats on a podcast? Um, no, 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 Eric. We cannot use stats on a podcast to describe how games are going to be played. Okay, I was just going to say it's, it can be kind of hard to describe plays on a largely, you know, uh, spoken medium like this of exactly what happened every down of the individuals and why they're good. And I think stats do provide a barometer. Of course, there are other ways to describe a game. And uh, I'm just I'm just saying, I've seen that comment a couple of times as well. I like stats and I will continue to use stats in my analysis for these games. Matt, go ahead. Thanks. Uh, defensive team prediction here. Um, Colorado isn't very good at running the football. They're just not good offensively at all. Um, I think Oregon's front seven, even without maybe a couple guys is going to be pretty hard to run at. And then also they're going to generate some sacks. And so I'm going to have Colorado under 120 yards rushing while Oregon's defense also plays into that by getting three or more sacks in this football game. I dig it. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see though, without like if DJ doesn't go, who do we see with more snaps? Like Funa's the obvious one. Swinson's the next obvious one. I will throw Amari Winston's name out there. He did travel the last couple of times and is somebody who has clearly made some sort of an impression. Um, could be a game where he plays quite a bit. This could be a big game for a lot of those young guys, and, and maybe one of them will make a play or two. Uh, I went kind of a little bit different here than I normally do on these defensive predictions. I'm going Ducks hold JT Shrout to the lowest opposing QBR of any Pac-12 quarterback that Oregon has faced this year. I know that's kind of a, a weird way of looking at it, but you look at JT's numbers, and again, I try not to be too mean here, but they're just like, they're really bad. They're really yeah. bad, man. He's got a 43% completion percentage on the season. Um, his last two starts against Oregon State and Arizona State, 13 of 29, 13 of 34, QBR of 11 in one of those games. It's just not been good. Um, that's great. Yeah, that's that's tough. And so uh, I, I, I ran through here the quarterbacks Oregon has faced in Pac-12 play this year, and three of them have pretty decent numbers. Cam Ward, 71.5. You know, anything 70, 75, 80 and above is really good from a QBR. Uh, DTR had 67. Jaden Delore had 59. So, like, those three guys all performed pretty well. But Jack Plummer and Tanner McKee, the Bay Area quarterbacks, 27 and 23, respectively, I think Oregon holds Shrout below McKee's 22.6 QBR that happened uh, back in September. I just don't think he's been very productive as a passer. Like I said, live arm will throw the ball deep, and that's in part maybe why the completion percentage is low because they are airing it out. But not a guy who's been remotely consistent throwing the football Four of the six games he's appeared in his completion percentage has been below 50%. Both of his starts have been 
in the 40s, uh, I don't see this as a game where we see very good opposing quarterback play. No, I don't think there's going to be a lot of good offense coming from the Colorado sideline. Um, I have Oregon holding Colorado to under their season total or their season average in offense, which I know sounds like not a very remarkable thing, but um, given the fact that that Colorado averages 295 yards a game, um, that'll be, it'll be a pretty good defensive showing because I'm, I'm factoring and I think that there's going to be a lot of true freshmen or second year players or guys who just don't get to see the field a lot in the fourth quarter and probably most of the third quarter. So I think there will be chances for Colorado to put up some yards, some garbage time stats, as we were talking about earlier. Um, so I got them under under 295 yards total offense for Colorado. I like that one. All right, I'm going to press it here. It hit really early last week. Um, mm. Brian, Brian Addison, third straight game mm. with an interception. Mm. Um I think the reason why I think this happens is because JT Shroud is terrible in accuracy. Um, that's factor number one. Number two, I think there's going to be a lot of third and long situations for Addison to have the opportunity to, to get those interceptions. And then number three, I think Oregon's pass rush will generate a lot of attention and Shroud will be – under duress quite often while he's throwing. I think those three factors are going to lead to a ball floating across the middle of the field. And I'm picking the tallest player out there at six foot five to just go up and grab it. Um, so give me Brian Addison for an interception for the third straight game, which would be my second straight week. We didn't let you really pat yourself on the back enough last week for that one. Cause you hit that one in record time. It was like a minute and 17 <laughs> yes. into the game and you had one like you, cause I, I had a Terrence Ferguson touchdown that was like the first touchdown against UCLA, I want to say, but that was like, you know, that was like almost a quarter in, and yours yeah. happened like immediately. So. First possession, I think. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, first, it was yeah. it was third, drive of the game. Third play from scrimmage, Matt gets on the board. It was pretty good. I think I, was, right. I think I kind of was like yes in the press box, and I was like, oh crap. I hope people aren't <laughs> thinking I'm rooting for Oregon because you, uh, I, I picked that specific player to get an interception. You you cheered, man. Yeah, you, they should have ushered you out, but they uh, they didn't, which was nice of them. They didn't. Uh, they Very were nice. they were they were fine with it. Okay, uh, I'm going. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking with Shrout's terrible, you know, QBR and his completion percentage issues and the fact that they've run through a bunch of guys that they turn it over a lot through the air. It's actually not as bad as you think. Like Oregon, I think Oregon and, and Colorado have the same number of interceptions like thrown this entire season. They both have six. Um, Colorado has fumbled at nine times, which is the yeah. second. Fumbling is a problem. The third most by any Power 5 team this year. Oregon, by the way, zero fumbles this year. Has anyone picked up on that? That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah, knocking on wood. Um, so I'm expecting there to be some turnovers. I think that's a fair expectation here. And I'm going to say Christian Gonzalez going home. Not really home, but he's going back to where he started his career. He's from Texas originally, so it's not really home. But he's going back to where he started his college career. I think he's going to make an impact. Um, I'm opening the door for an interception or a fumble recovery slash forced fumble, like impact in any of those ways, just because, like just I said, a, a turnover, a forced just turnover. he's going to be involved in one forced turnover. And uh, I think Gonzalez is really downplayed going back home. I get why. I think it's kind of an awkward situation for you to be like, hey, man, what's it? You really fired up to go play your other team when the other team is Colorado. Um, I don't think he wants to like give them any bulletin board material so he was basically kind of shrugged it off i think that's fine but i also think he's going to be 
probably one of the two or three most talented players on the field anytime he's on the field. So I think there's going to be plays to be had, and I'm going to go that he for that he makes an impact here with one, one he factors into one forced turnover of some sort. I'm going with a fellow defensive back here, although I'm taking Jamal Hill. I don't think we've talked enough about Jamal, which means that he's been doing a good job. Because if we, you know, pick on a defensive player in the back in the secondary, usually that means they're not doing a great job. But I got Jamal Hill over six tackles and an interception. So despite Colorado not throwing too many interceptions, Matt has an interception, you might have an interception, and I have an interception. So we're all we're all banking on JT Shrout showing up and performing as he always does, which which would be nice for one of our predictions. So I've, I've got Jamal Hill doing well again, six-plus tackles and an interception. I like it. I like Jamal Hill. Um, all right, score predictions here. 31-and-a-half is the point spread right now. Over-under is set for 63. I was going to do Oregon 49, but I just have a hard time seeing this offense only score seven touchdowns. Um, that feels like a lot. I just, I think we're going to see some, some explosion plays, maybe like a 50 yarder or, a, you know, a 40 yard touchdown, something that really speeds up a drive, if you will, for scoring. So I, I cranked it up a little bit and then I did add a couple garbage touchdowns that Colorado's going to add. So I have Oregon covering, I have the 63 hitting, and I'm going Oregon 56, Colorado 20. But it's going to be one of those like 49 to 7 going into the fourth quarter where it's a true butt kicking and then Colorado tacks on a couple points to get away from it being a true just bloodbath. But 56-20 is still pretty close to being a bloodbath. I was going to say, I think 56-20 qualifies as a full-on lot of blood. That's a that's a pretty bloody day. That's a lot of points. Um you know, I uh, I've got a really similar score to Matt, and we don't again we don't talk about this beforehand. Mine is fifty six seventeen, so uh, almost mm. identical actually. I was looking through the history of these eight games since Oregon and Colorado have both been in the Pac twelve. Colorado and Utah joined in twenty eleven. Colorado's got like by the way like a twenty five percent win percentage in conference games, and that's really helped by they just randomly had two seasons where they were really good. It's a really weird if you look through Colorado's history in this conference, it's really bizarre. Because it's terrible, terrible seasons, like one to three conference wins every year. And then randomly they won eight and one in 2016, won their division. We're like, I, I beat Oregon that year. So one year they beat Oregon and we're like, actually like pretty dang good. And then in 2020, the COVID year, they also won. They were great they for were, some reason. They won three and one in their conference games uh, and had a great year. And then everything else around it is just like, yeah, they won one game. They won two games in conference play. They, they weren't very good. Um, Oregon has just dominated this rivalry. They're one in se- they've, they've won seven. They've lost one. Um, but they've in, in, in it since, again, Colorado joined in 2011. And a lot of them are just complete ass kicks. Like the high majority are. And, in fact, the average margin of victory for Oregon is 36.6 points in those seven wins, which is a huge number. So part of my logic here, it was part of my Scobaldamas column, which go take a look at if you haven't, was uh, was that they would sur- they would surpass that average margin here. So I have Oregon winning by 39 points, which is, yes, a couple more points than my 36.6 uh, Mendoza line, if you will, for Oregon over Colorado. There's a baseball term, Jared. I, I got one. The Mendoza uh, line. Yeah. 
so I've got the Ducks winning handily. I don't know if there's much more, you know, there's not a whole lot else to say, to be honest. No, I, I don't have a whole lot to add other than just my prediction, which is also very close to everybody's. It's 59-17. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. Oh. I was kind of debating between whether or not Oregon's going to score nine total touchdowns or if they're going to let Camden Lewis have some fun other than kicking point afters. Um, so I think Camden, you know, in the altitude, I'd love to see Dan give give Camden a chance, maybe at the end of half, set a new career high. I think that'd be a nice cherry on top for this kind of game. But, yeah, you know, for all the reasons we talked about so far on this podcast, this Colorado team is just not very good um, defensively uh, or offensively. Oregon is, is really damn good this season offensively. They're just going to be a, a whole uh, multiple hands full to stop for Colorado's defense. I don't anticipate they're they're really going to stop them until potentially the backups come in. And even then, if, it, if, if Kenny Dillingham seemingly, I don't know if he does or doesn't, but seemingly if he lets Ty Thompson cook, if he lets Russ cook, um, I, I think they could score even more points. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Oregon win by – 50. I could see them winning by 50. I could very easily see them scoring more than 60. I just, I'm, uh, I'm just not certain yet if Oregon is going to call off the dogs like they have been before, maybe when they were a higher ranked team. But now that the college football playoff picture is in, is, is in perspective, maybe they don't call off the dogs and they keep going on offense and they put up 60 to 65, 70. But 59-17, Oregon covers the spread. So I I agree Jared, with Jared. There's a possibility Oregon could win by 50. And the reason I I come up with that is Adam on our show yesterday, I, at the very end of the show, I asked him, is like, is this the darkest Colorado football has been? And he said no, but it's very close to that 2012 season when they went one and 11 and it's very, very close. And he said, I think he said the only reason really it isn't is because they moved off their head coach this season sooner than they did the previous year or that, that, that season um, in 2012, Oregon won in 2012, 70 to 14. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. the 2012 offense is maybe one of the best offenses in college football history. It had a ton of dudes on it that put up huge numbers not saying Oregon is at that level, but the explosiveness that Oregon has this season is there to get to that point where they could get to 50 points. And we should also note that since the Pac-12 added Colorado and Utah, Colorado has had games where they've scored two and three points against Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, the most two recent being – unbelievable. Matt, do you remember the story on that two points? Do you remember what happened? Uh, I think it was like a punt, and they like kicked it out of the end zone or something. Cliff Harris returned the punt and then backtracked into the end zone and got tackled for a safety. That was the only reason right. they scored any points the entire game. <laughs> That's great. And it was it was a really it was a really it was a really boneheaded play. I was going to make a bad joke, but it was a bad play. Yes. So I mean, the history tells us as Jared is going out there saying they could score fifty. History tells us it's possible. I mean, they scored 70 in 2012. They scored 52 last year. They scored 57 in 2013. Um, 50 is is it's kind of up to the staff, really. Like, do they want to score that many points? I don't know. 
I, I like a, as a special teams prediction we never make. I do like the Camden Lewis career high because we are going to altitude and maybe Dan just Amen. decides to say screw it, let's give it, a, it. let's give it a go. Uh, current career high forty nine yards came last year. He has a forty four uh, along a forty four this year. Can he go fifty? What do we think? Can he hit a fifty yarder? In, I think he's. I think, I, he's think he can, I think he can hit a fifty yarder in Otson. I think fifty is is easy money in the altitude, which, you know, coincidentally now that we're talking about altitude, nobody in Oregon seems to care that there's like an altitude thing into this game, or at least from the questions that we've asked people. I found that just interesting. I, I figured these guys would would care about the, the significant difference in altitude, but I mean, Camden uh, Lewis cares. Shoot, I went for a hike in Salt Lake City a couple of years ago, and I had to turn around halfway up because my lungs were burning because I because of the altitude. But you know, I'm probably not quite as fit of an athlete as, as as most of these fellas. Yeah, that's that's what I came up with as well. Like I asked Triquist Bridges about it. He's like, eh, you know, I asked Christian Gonzalez for for some advice, and that was about it. And I'm like, well, okay. we we do have to note that Oregon hasn't played in Boulder since 2015. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I it was funny. I was talking to uh, at Wednesday's practice, several of Oregon's sports information guys, and they were we were kind of like, yeah, excited to go back to Boulder, and like we've never been to Boulder, like no no one like in, even like really, I don't think really anyone affiliated with Oregon's really been to Boulder besides like Chris. I think Rob Mosley's been to Boulder, but well, he's the I, only I, one. Yeah, you're right. I'm just by I mean like people that we see on a day to day basis. Oh, Mosley, sure. Mosley, Mosley's definitely been to Boulder. Yes, I thought you meant. I always yeah. get the Rob M's confused. Um, but like, yeah, Mullins. not not a lot of these dudes have been to boulder on this team and like that would be the one thing to maybe give you some pause for like if we want to slow down the the oregon wins by a million conversation would be like okay if altitude it's a state run out of air run out of air well that would be that's a dark dark way to look at it but but like you know i remember when we had jackson Moore on, like he was i was like so how what what the heck happened when cal lost at colorado he was like you wouldn't believe the crowd environment there for like a, a team that hadn't won a game. He's like, that's yeah. really the reason. That was the yeah. reason Cal won or Colorado won was basically because Cal's like basically ran into a, an environment they weren't prepared for and just kind of crapped the bed. So, mm-hmm. not that Oregon will lose this game because of a tough environment because they've been in tougher environments this season without question. But um, just like a thing to throw out there is like it, they haven't played. No one on this team has really played in Boulder. It is altitude. It is a atmosphere where like hey if you kind of let them hang around maybe it gets kind of crazy it's a weird time for a start again because 130 maybe there's not going to be a full full capacity or close to that but i think it's like that would be the one thing to look at i think it's probably has to do less with like the talent on the field and more with some of these like kind of uh ancillary kind of factors if this gets weird which i don't expect it will but there's there's just a, a point to be made yeah that's yeah. I, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference either. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, Matt. I think you asked about it to Dan in the altitude question. It just like kind of feels like they're just shrugging it off, like it's not that big of a deal. And maybe they're, maybe they're clearly training for it, and we just don't see it at the time that we're allowed at practice, which I would anticipate is what they're doing. But uh, yeah, it's a difference, and and for Colorado's environment, I you know it's, it's kind of surprising they they almost sell out basically every single one of their games that are at mm-hmm. home, even though they they just stink. Uh, I think against Cal, they had fifty two or fifty three thousand people there. Um, I think that'll be the basically the same amount of number for Oregon. Um, it is a weird time to start, but I like it. I'll take the twelve thirty or one thirty start, and that's that's my preference here. 
All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Next time we talk to you, all three of us will be on the pod high atop Folsom Field or somewhere in its bowels recording the post-game edition of Oregon at Colorado. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.